verses 1 through 4. Luke 21 Verses one through four, which says this. As he, speaking of Jesus, looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you for remaining standing. You may be seated at this time. So we have been in this series on the church. And we have looked at lessons and topics such as Jesus as the cornerstone and we as the living stones. We've understood as well from the uh, truths of scripture that we are the living stones upon which the, on which the church is being built upon the, uh, upon the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus. We are also part of the family of God who have been gifted with the resources of heaven, the greatest resource being his presence, but also his power and his authority. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the idea of giving or getting. What do we come and what are we a part of the church for? Is it to merely consume what can the church do for me? Or do we come to receive from God so that we might love him back and so that we might give in love to others, that we might be a part of building the church? Are we consumers or are we part Are we participators in what God is doing and looking to give back? Last week, we talked about the body of Christ and how we all have been gifted as a way, as a practical way of expressing that giving side of being able to be a part of serving. And just as a practical way to begin to respond to this, uh, these cards are out. Uh, Mara spoke about the the new board that's out about our international workers. Um, Also, there are opportunities to serve in the church. So there are ways to give both in opportunities looking in international partnership, but also how do you serve here in the church? And there are some ways there. And this card is there. There's a few of them there. We'll have more of them next week. But it's a way for you to to say, these. I don't have a place to serve, but these are ways that I could serve. I'm interested in this. By putting this in the offering plate, filling this out, putting it in the offering plate, you're not saying, um, obligating yourself or saying, I want more information. This seems like a good fit potentially for me. Or if you're looking at these, you're like, I just don't know. Talk to me and we can figure what that might look like, how you can get involved, get connected, be a part of serving here at Dorseyville and the ways that you can be a part of giving to help those who are overseas. Today we wanna talk about, in the giving or getting theme and mentality, talking about money and giving. Sacrificial giving. Sermon notes are in your bulletin as always. Encourage you if you're a note taker to utilize those. But a number of years ago, the story was told of a notorious miser in the community who was called on by the chairman of the community charity. The fundraiser individual said, Sir, our records show that despite your wealth, you have never once given to our drive. Well, the miser responded in a rather angry way. Do your records show that I have an elderly mother who was left penniless when my father died? And do your records show that I have a disabled brother 
who is unable to work? And do your records show that I have a widowed sister with very small children who barely makes ends meet? Do your records show any of those? The fundraiser, rather embarrassed, said, no, sir, our records don't show any of those things. And the miser then responded, well, I don't give to any of them, so why should I give to you? Sacrificial giving. Clearly, this man is on the very extreme side of negative sacrifice when it comes to giving. But God calls us and even gives us the privilege as his living stones, as his children and his family, as members of the body of Christ to give and to give sacrificially in a way that glorifies him and brings us into partnership with what he is doing. As one pastor once said, we are never more like God than when, than when we are giving and when we are giving sacrificially because our God is a sacrificial giver. All we have to do is think about Advent and think about the coming of Jesus. Jesus came. God gave his one and only son. He loved the world so much that he gave his son, his one and only son, as a sacrificial offering for the sins of the world. And so we are never more like God than when we are giving and giving sacrificially. Two lessons to look at from this story of this widow who is giving. Two lessons in sacrificial giving. The first one is this, giving is expected. Giving is expected. Verses one and two again, Jesus, as he looked up, saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And he also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. You see, the rich and the widow alike were both at the temple giving because it was the expectation of all Jews that a tithe or the first fruits or the first tenth of all that was received and offerings would be given back to the Lord. It wasn't a, if you feel like it, it was the expectation. And so the wealthy and the widow alike were there giving because it was the expectation. This wasn't this weird context for first century Jews at the temple to be like, well, that's interesting that there's some rich people and a widow who are giving. This would have just been normal practice. It was the expectation of everyone. In total, Jews would have been expected to give roughly, scholars believe, about 20% of what they received back to God because of several reasons. The first, because simply God owns everything. Psalm 24 verses one and two says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Can you say that with me? The earth is whose? The Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas, and he established it upon the waters. Everything on the earth belongs to God. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. All things belong to him. We may think, 
I have ownership over these things. <laughs> really, the truth of the scriptures of what the psalmist is saying is everything in all of the earth, everything I have, everything you have, belongs to God. So if everything belongs to God, and I have this stuff, what does that make me? What does that make you? That simply makes us stewards, managers, caretakers. God owns everything. Stewardship is our role. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, I encourage you to take time to read. It's a parable of the talents where there is a master who has all of his estate, all of his belongings, and he leaves on a trip. And as he leaves, he says to each of his servants, here, I'm gonna give you this amount and this amount and this amount. It's all mine. What I want you to do is go to put it to work. I want you to care for it and I want you to increase it. Two of them do well. Two of them go put it to work, invest it, doesn't tell us how, but they put these resources that the master owned and had entrusted to them. They used it well and actually gained return. But the third he was a little bit afraid, and so he went and buried it so he wouldn't lose it. He didn't use it for increase. The master's response is, you wicked and lazy servant. There is an expectation that the Lord has of each of us that because he owns everything, that he has given us this role and responsibility to care for it, to use it well, and part of stewardship, part of caring for, part of investing his resources for the building of his kingdom is giving. Giving is an expectation all throughout scripture. Now, I know one of the uh, ways to handle this, and this is what I do if I'm in some kind of teaching environment and there's going to be a lot of things put up, is I take a picture of it. So if you have a phone, feel free to do this so you can look at these over time and not have to um, write all of these out. Sacrificial giving, giving throughout scripture, is seen in Abraham. Abraham was the first to practice it with the priest Melchizedek, the high priest of God. And he gives to Melchizedek, Abraham does, a tenth of all that he has. Jacob, when given promises, having the dream of angels coming up and down on a ladder, he wakes up from this dream and the promises of God are extended from Abraham to Isaac, now down to Jacob. And Jacob says, if you are going to care for me the way you have promised to care for me, I promise you that of all the things that you give, I will give a tenth back. Giving was promised by Jacob. Giving was commanded by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 29, to bring in the first fruits as an offering to the Lord. It was a contribution for worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verses 2 through 12, King Hezekiah brings the nation back after wandering away from the laws of God, and he brings the nation back in repentance. And King Hezekiah encourages the people to bring a tenth to bring an offering, to bring this contribution that would be used in worship. In Malachi chapter three, verses six through 12, the Lord through the prophet Malachi reaffirmed the necessity and the expectation of giving to the priests. 
They had not been fulfilling their duty. And he says, bring the whole tithe. Do not rob God. (laughs) It's powerful language. God is saying, if you don't bring it in, my expectation is that you will bring in the whole tithe. If you don't bring it in, it is akin to robbing God. It's the only place where God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven with blessing. Reaffirmed to the priests. Giving was also endorsed by Jesus. Sometimes people say, oh, that's just an Old Testament thing. We don't have to give anymore. It's just an Old Testament thing. But Jesus, when he was confronting the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and they said, you give a tenth of all of these things, but you have neglected justice, mercy, and sacrifice. You've you've neglected these things. Not sacrifice, faithfulness, sorry. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You've neglected these. And he says, Do these without neglecting the former. Give, Jesus affirms giving, give, but also make sure that you are being just, practicing mercy, and you are being faithful. Paul instructed giving as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, as there was famine for the Jerusalem church and the poor were being especially affected, and so Paul was encouraging all the churches to contribute to this offering in generosity, to be able to give for the well-being of others. Giving is an expectation all throughout Scripture. We see here in the story of the widow that it wasn't something that was a one-time thing. It was the pattern and the practice seen in Scripture. It was an expected and regular practice. It's not an anomaly in this passage. It was a way of life. And so giving for the people of God is a way of life. It is something to be practiced from the beginning all the way as we go through life as we're followers of Christ. It's especially important, I believe, to begin to practice this as we are younger either younger biologically or younger in the faith. Because the longer we go without practicing it, the harder it is to add it later. The wealthy businessman J.D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe or give the first 10% of my first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. Rockefeller understood something, that giving was not just something that I do later. It's something that I do at all times. And it makes it easier the earlier we begin. Giving is expected. Second lesson in sacrificial sacrificial giving is that the quality exceeds quantity in giving. Quality exceeds quantity in giving. Here's what I mean by that. Quality is expressed in sacrifice. Quality is expressed in sacrifice. Look at verses three and four. It says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. 
All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had. Quality exceeds quantity in giving, and quality is expressed in sacrifice. See, the heart of Jesus in this story, in this account, was not moved by the amount that was given by the rich people. Because they gave out of their wealth. If you look up in the end of chapter 20, verses 45 through the end, it says, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. I can imagine that some of these wealthy ones, as Jesus is talking about the teachers of the law, watch out for them. I can imagine that some of these wealthy ones may very likely have been some of these teachers of the law as well. Many of the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law were wealthy individuals. And what does he say? He said, they love this honor. They love to be puffed up. They love people looking at them. They love to have others say, wow, look how great they are. They love to have a show of their spirituality. But they also love and they also devour widows' houses. So think about this. You have these wealthy individuals who are giving out of their wealth and you have this widow who we'll look at in one moment. You have this widow and yet there are these wealthy people, these teachers of the law who likely would have preyed on this vulnerable woman. Devouring, taking the very life possession that she has of a house. You see the contrast? Jesus is not moved by the amount that's given by the rich people. They gave out of their wealth and may have even increased their wealth that they were giving out of by taking advantage of others. Jesus, however, is moved by the sacrifice that was made by this widow. Because she, unlike the wealthy, gave out of her poverty literally all, Jesus said, that she had to live on. To understand the depth of her poverty, the scriptures seem to understand these two copper, these two copper coins as being lepta coins. And one lepta would have been worth one sixty-fourth of a denarius. A denarius was the coin that would be given as a common worker's day wage. So one coin, one sixty-fourth of a denarius, of a day's wage. Two coins she's giving, so one thirty-second she's giving of a day's wage is what she has to live on. Scholars believe that today it would be valued, and it's probably even less today with inflation, that it would be valued at about an eighth of one cent. This is all she had to live on. 
And yet she gives not out of her wealth, she gives out of her poverty, extreme poverty, all that she had to live on. Quality is expressed in sacrifice and quality exceeds quantity. Quality expressed in sacrifice exceeds quantity. Unless, and here's the one exception I believe to this, unless the quantity matches the quantity or the quality of sacrifice. All these qual, 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 quans. Quality is expressed in sacrifice. Quality exceeds quantity in giving. And the only time quantity ex- equals quality is when they, they're, the, they're matched. So let me try to explain it this way. Imagine we have two families. And we're just going to go with really low numbers here. The Smith family gives $1,000. The Jones family gives $10,000. When it comes to quantity, who gave more? Okay, the Smith family, do I need to put it up on the board? The Smith family gives $1,000. All right, the Jones family gives $10,000. When it comes to quantity, who gave more? The Jones family. Now, let me give you more information. The Smith family makes 100, or sorry, the Smith family makes $10,000 a year. The Jones family makes $100,000 a year. So the Smith family gives 1,000, but they make 10,000. The Jones family gives 10,000, but they make 100,000. When it comes to quality, and quality is expressed in sacrifice, who had the greatest quality? Okay, so think about this. Put this in your living life. If you make $10,000 a year, and you give 1000 How much do you have left to live on? If you make $10,000 and you give $1,000, how much do you have to live on? $9,000. If you make $100,000 and you give $10,000, how much do you have to live on? 90. Is that equal? No. I may give 10,000 bucks, but if I have $90,000 to live on, how much of a sacrifice have I just made? If I have $10,000 and I just gave 1,000 and I now have 9,000 to live on, how much of a sacrifice have I made? See, quality is is expressed not in quantity, but in sacrifice. Now, we don't like that. We don't like that I can give 10% of my $100,000. I may even be really generous and do like the Jewish thing and do 20%. And now I have still $80,000 to live on. And I can go and I can say, wow, 
Look how much I give. I can feel really good about myself. Think about how much I gave. I gave $20,000 to church. That family, they gave 10. Look at my quantity. Now I'm going to go live off my 80. Meanwhile, that family, the Smith family, gave 1,000. And they may be kind of ashamed because they only put in 1,000. And they see the Jones family dropping in 10. And they're like, oh, we feel terrible. I wish I could give 10. But I've got family, I've got kids, I've got bills, I've got these things. And I know this is a sacrifice, right? $1,000 could go a long way. But I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to fulfill the expectation and I'm going to live in this sacrificial way. That is what Jesus saw compared to the Jones family. He saw a woman who gave next to nothing, but her sacrifice was immense. And he saw these rich who gave a lot, but their sacrifice, it didn't hurt them at all. Because they gave not out of their lack, they gave out of their wealth. Now I said, quality expressed in sacrifice always exceeds quantity, unless the quantity matches the quality of the sacrifice. And here's what I mean. Who has now sacrificed more? 1,000 for the person who gave 10. Or flip it, there are wealthy people out there who practice what is called reverse tithing or something like that. Where instead of giving 10 and living on 90, they give 90 and live on 10. Why? Because they want, and and again, this is their conviction, this is how they have been led. They want to be able to say, I want to live and I want to give out of sacrifice, not out of my wealth. So quality begins to meet quantity there. Quality is expressed in sacrifice. The story is told, I believe, of John Wesley. who gave sacrificially and lived very simply. And as he got older and made more, what was very interesting is his living expenses did not change. He spent the exact same amount. And now I realize We got inflation and all those kinds of things, you know, so living expenses go up. But the percentage of his, of how much, he he was not touched by all that, lived on the same amount all through his life. 
and he gave more and more and more and more. Because quality is expressed in sacrifice. Quality exceeds quantity in giving. This is not necessarily what we like to hear, especially if we have a lot. But when you look at Jesus in this widow, he doesn't hold up how much did you give. He holds up how much sacrifice was there. And so equality and sacrifice really is the goal. Paul holds it up. I believe Jesus is holding it up, that the goal in giving is about equality and sacrifice. Because simply not everyone is going to give the same amount. But if everyone gave, what would happen if everyone gave at an equal level of sacrifice? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that I mentioned, Paul holds this up. He's organizing that collection for the poor. I mentioned on there, Paul instructing it. Poor that were impacted by famine in the Jerusalem church. And he holds up to the Corinthians who were a wealthy church. He holds up the Macedonian church. So you have the Jerusalem church who's dealing with poverty. You have the Corinthian church who Paul is writing to who has a lot. And they're collecting to send to Jerusalem. And the Corinthians have not really followed through on what they said they were going to do. So Paul is writing saying, guys, you committed to this. I'm sending someone now to help you to fulfill the commitment that you've made. And if it's hard, I want you to think about, I want you to think about the Macedonian church. And he says the Macedonian church gave to this out of not their wealth, but their extreme poverty. And he goes on and he begins to talk about this idea of the Macedonian church. He says, guys, it's not about the equal amount, but what if it was about the equal sacrifice? What if it was about equal generosity? As we close this morning, I want to just share. Last week I called a quick family meeting about serving from the annual meeting. I want to just share a few things family meeting style on giving here in a moment. But, you know, oftentimes we look at dollar amounts in the measurable, as the measurable thing. We look at how much is a budget. We look at how much do we need to give. We look at how much in the red or how much in the black we are. And there is value, there is need for those kinds of things. But the church is different than a business, isn't it? The church is the people of God. The church is the living stones. The church is the family of God. The church is the body of Christ. It's not a business. So what if instead of looking at giving as budgets and amount of giving and red and black and all those kinds of things, what if we looked at it as not how much am I giving and how much are you giving, but instead how much are we sacrificing? How much are we sacrificing for the ministries of the church? How much are we sacrificing for the outreaches to the community? How much are we sacrificing for the Foucaults and the Bills as they go overseas and for other international workers? How much are we sacrificing? 
What if we came to the Holy Spirit individually and said, Holy Spirit, not how much should I give, but what is the sacrifice that you are calling me to make? If we were to ask that, I would encourage you to do that, thinking about it in these ways. As you would ask the Holy Spirit, if you, if you would take this up and say, Holy Spirit, what are you? Because the last thing I want, and this, I, just to be fully transparent, I hate preaching about money in the way of giving. But you know what I do not hate? I do not hate going after hearts because Jesus talked about money 2,000 times over half of his parables were about money. You know why? Because money has a way of getting our hearts. And if we're looking at our dollar amounts and giving and saying, I fulfilled my duty, but we haven't felt sacrifice at all, I believe that money has our hearts. And I love you and I care about you. I love, I speak this to myself. How much does money have my heart? How much does my lifestyle have my heart? How much does what I want to look like in comparison to the people around me have my heart? Because Jesus did not lift up the wealthy who gave out of their wealth. He lifted up the widow who gave out of her poverty. So it's not about how much you give. That's the last thing I care about. But what are you doing before the Lord and what has the Holy Spirit spoken to you about generosity and about sacrifice? And I don't want to be the one to determine that. He's way better at it than me. So as you would ask the Holy Spirit, I would really encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit. Remember these three quick things. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I believe, gives us good direction. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just remember this. As you ask, remember to decide in your heart individually that it should not be anything that I say or anyone else says. It should not be about comparison to others. Decide in your heart individually with the Lord. Encourage you to decide ahead of time, not on the spot. How many times have you been, maybe it's more me because my kids are in sports, where you sit there at the game and they bring around the 50-50 and it's for the cause you know, donate, get some tickets to help the youth league sports. And you're like, oh, oh, uh, here's two bucks. I don't only want a ticket, just two bucks. Because I've decided on the spot. I haven't decided ahead of time. There's something about deciding ahead of time, praying ahead of time, seeking the Lord ahead of time, not on the spot so that ultimately you give cheerfully. <laughs> this should be the goal, not under compulsion, not because I should, because God loves a cheerful giver. And I've experienced it, and I know others who have experienced it as well. When you decide in your heart individually before the Lord, he's brought you to that place. It is a cheerful thing because God has done it in your heart. quick family meeting and then a story and we wrap up. 
So I share this, I shared last week about the reality of the need for serving in the church that I shared at the annual meeting. Last week we talked about the fact that we need more folks to say, yes, Lord, I will join as you are leading me. Or else many of the things that we have long-term are not gonna be able to continue. It's just the reality of where we're at. We need more ownership of serving. But also in the area of giving. In 2018, the church family made the decision that we would invest a significant amount of money that was given to us by a longtime member, Vern Kendrick, who left a large amount of money that as a congregation, we decided as a time, after several weeks of praying, seeking the Lord, that we would use that money to do outreach and to invest in individuals. And so Mara and Leah are here and able to be on staff because of the fulfillment of that vision. But we always knew that that was not going to be able to last forever. The Lord has been good to us. It's been invested and so it's brought return and dividend and we've been able um, to keep it going longer while paying for things like the flood that were way out of our control just off of um, return on investment. But we're at a point where if it's worst case scenario in budgets, we have two, maybe three more years of being able to operate as we are right now. Two, maybe three more years. Now, as I was preparing this morning, this whole thing is weighed and the leadership has wrestled over this and we've sought to cut things in the budget and we've done all that thing. But, you know, actually when you look at all the costs of increase of utilities and all that kind of stuff, even with all the costs, the budget actually went up a little bit. Just not because we're overspending, just like these things cost money. And there's nothing exciting sometimes about paying for the electric bill. But if you don't pay for the electric bill, you feel it, right? There's nothing exciting about giving for the heating bill. But if you don't pay for the heating bill in a couple months, it's gonna be a miserable experience gathered together. So the, the reality is these things cost money. Outreach, ministry costs money. Investment in people costs money. But the family meeting side of things is that God has to do something in us. And I know that there are so many who have been carrying that and so thank you. But for all of us, that we would just come to a place and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it that you are calling us, me, my family, us as a church? What are you calling us to? Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. May we seek the Lord. May we seek the Holy Spirit individually and together for this. When I think, I told you I'd tell you a story and then we'd be done. The Christian Missionary Alliance, of which we are a part, in 1896, 1897, and 1898, our district superintendent found records of the Pennsylvania Convention meeting. And so this was Pennsylvania, Eastern, Western, and Maryland at the time, was the Pennsylvania district. And they gathered together 
in the early days. So this was not like thousands and thousands of people. This is new, a new movement that is happening. And they gathered together and every year took an offering to be able to send workers, to be able to do ministry. And in 1896, that group sacrificially gave $9,000. Now, I did an inflation calculator thing. And $9,000 in 1896 would be today $319,299. In, in 1897, they gathered back again and they gave $11,000 for the work of the Lord sacrificially. That then translated today would be $394,955. And in 1898, they gave $16,000 which today would be worth $574,480.96. What was interesting about that is not how much they gave, but the way that they gave. Because all the stories of those meetings were not people dropping their money in. It was often people dropping their heirlooms in, their gold watches, their great-grandmother's pearls, these kinds of things. It was not because they had become so affluent that they were able to give it. It was because they had become so sacrificial that they were able to give it. And the reason was they were so devoted to Jesus and his mission. That widow got something that the wealthy didn't. The wealthy who wanted everyone to look at them. The wealthy who wanted the place of honor. the wealthy who were willing to oppress the poor, who gave out of their wealth. But this widow, who was so devoted to the Lord, sacrifice, sacrifice was her willing action. Would you seek what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do? So Holy Spirit, we do pray. For your voice to be clearly heard. now and in days and weeks to come. May your voice be heard. Holy Spirit, I just confess that your, your voice is the one that we want to hear. Jesus, we want to hear 
what you say. Knowing and believing that everything belongs to you. And that sacrifice is what moves your heart. Spirit of God, speak. We trust you with these things. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said together, amen.